thrust, response is engine 5, engine 3, engine 1, ladder 3, ladder 2, rescue 1. We've got smoke showing. Division 1, you're on location, block 23, reporting smoke show on 727. Job Talks podcast members do not represent the cities and towns they work for in their views and opinions. They are views and opinions that belong to us only. We are not here trying to be the experts or tell people how to do their job. Our goal with this show is simply to facilitate knowledge sharing. All right. Welcome back to another Job Talks podcast. This week we have a very special guest. But before we get into introductions, make sure you go to our YouTube channel, which hopefully you're already there if you're watching this. Subscribe. Don't forget to set your alerts so you know when we drop new episodes every Saturday at noon. Follow us on social media at JobTalks, J-O-B-T-L-K-S, on Instagram and Facebook. Also at JobTalks on YouTube. Or hit us up on our website, www.jobtalks.com, and uh, leave us some feedback. Barry? Cool. I'll take it over. So you might notice some changes today. Uh, it is true. I'm sitting in a different chair. Um but one of my favorite did I, people. Did I kick you out of your chair? No, well, there's very few people I give up that chair. <laughs> I board. didn't realize this is yeah. your, your yeah. seat over here. He's kind of like, if you ever watch uh, Big Bang Theory, he's kind of like Sheldon. He has this very specific spot yeah. he has to sit. Yeah. On the couch, yeah. Well, yeah. there's few people. So, uh, we've invited a very special guest on the show today, a uh, personal mentor of mine and Will's, and I believe John as well. Absolutely. Um, Deputy Chief Fred Eichels from Cambridge. Uh, this is a, a subject that's near and dear to my heart, and I think everybody's heart here, which is we're going to talk and dive deep into leadership development today. Uh, so we thought of no other person to bring on than Deputy Chief Fred Eichels. So well, I appreciate you having me. Thank yeah, you for the invite. Yeah. This is great. This is so good. Happy to have you. Do you want to uh, provide uh, the audience just a little bit of background about yourself, who you are, uh, and why, you're, why you've uh, become so passionate about leadership development? Um, sure. Sure. I can, I can do that. Um, so, you know... Let me know how deep you want me to go. With, no, yeah, with just that, like but. your uh, your background uh, in the fire service, you know, a little bit about where you are today uh, and okay. why you've become kind of one of the the, you know, the guys, okay, I'll, at least I'll in our department. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll, yeah, all right. So I'm born and raised in Cambridge, and, you know, my father was on the fire department, so that's kind of how I became interested in yeah. all of that. Um, joined the Air Force out of high school, uh, was a firefighter in the Air Force. That was fantastic and got hired in Cambridge in uh, 2000 and, you know, sought promotion, you know, made lieutenant, made captain, and made deputy. And uh, along the way, I, um, you know, was really interested in being a good officer, uh, but I didn't quite understand uh, the leadership thing quite yet. You know, I had some good examples, but I had some poor examples, but um, I was really thirsty to, 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 to learn about this, how to, how to be good at this. And then I think what happened was I hit that, I hit that book, Step Up and Lead by Frank Viscuso. In that, uh, he's a deputy chief out of Kearney, New Jersey. And I realized, hey, this, this, is, the this is the stuff. This is the formula. This is, this is what to do. And you know, ever since then, I, I really committed to a path of, of leadership. And, you know, I think, I think I became interested in leadership because I saw, I saw, 
I saw a lot of poor leadership, which, you know, just, you know, I just didn't, I didn't appreciate that. I didn't like that. And I saw how it negatively affected the team, you know, and I saw example of good leadership as well. And I could see the complete opposite on how great a team could be with the right leader in place. And I said, that's what I want to try to be. So, and that's what the fire service needs. You know, we have a deficit of that. Absolutely. You know, in fact, it's not, it's not the fire service only. There's a leadership deficit everywhere. There's a leadership deficit in business, uh, in, in government, in the, in the fire service. You know, this is not just a, a issue for our industry. So, you know, I kind of committed to be, to learn about this and to become a student in, in leadership and, um, I decided to get my master's degree in leadership. I went to Norwich University to a program up there. Uh, that was a good program because I wanted to kind of round myself out. I couldn't just read, read the books and practice it in the firehouse. I wanted to get some, you know, a good academic background on it. And that was a great program. That, that helped me a lot. And then, you know, we ha- uh, started teaching a, a program, a leadership development thing. So that's kind of where I'm at. I, I know that... Uh both Barry and I were reading that book. I think it was the the first book you recommended to us in the uh, might in the have been firehouse. dichotomy of leadership. No, it was uh, ownership. Step up and no, lead. step up and step lead. up and lead. It yeah, was that, that was one. A, okay. It was the first one. Yeah. And by the way, if you guys are interested in in uh, checking that book out, we're going to put it on our website, um, so you can find that under the resources tab. So if you're interested in checking that book out, but yeah, that was a great book. Yeah, really it, it, book. it really is. It takes you know that that book, in my opinion, uh, that book, in my opinion, takes all the leadership stuff and really translates it into our industry into the fire service and he's he's he breaks it down very well uh he's from a a, a mid county new jersey is like a mid-sized urban city in new jersey so uh you know he's well situated to have a lot of experience yeah, right um, different exposure yeah, yeah and you know that that book i think really hits home and i think it's going to resonate with our people I, I think you hit the nail on the head there are a lot of books about leadership and Generally, like good leadership principles are kind of the same, mm-hmm. but taking those principles and applying them to the fire service specifically is something that he did well. Well, yes. And look, <coughs> that's the beautiful thing about leadership. It's all the same stuff. Right. People that are leading teams at Microsoft, people that are leading teams in the military, in law enforcement, in the fire service, it's all the same stuff. It's just applied differently depending upon the environment, right? With leadership, there's three things, right? You have the leader, you have the follower, and you have the situation, okay? And where all those things intersect is your locus of leadership, right? Leadership is is adaptive. You have to adapt it to the situation. So you're going to express whatever leadership is required for the moment, right? Leadership in the firehouse is going to look different than leadership on the fireground, right? That might look different than leadership in the boardroom. It might right. look different than leadership in your own family, right? Because we can be leaders at home too. That's, right. that's important. You know, so, uh, yeah, it, it's all the same, just applied to the situation that you're in. And I think that I think that brings up a good point because when I when we did that small ad hoc interview for uh, my leadership class at school, we yep. talked about are the principles principles of leadership truly timeless, and do they translate, you know, regardless of industry? And I think they really do. Like the the principles of effective leadership translate. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I think if you go back to the the episode talking about trust, when you play that video on, on, if you look around the room, you can find that any asshole. And then the same thing, if you look around the room, you can find that, that go-to person for anybody. And I think that is translatable to every, every 
type of business or uh, job or homestead or whatever whatever you that's, want to call that's it. That's the beauty of leadership, and that's what I find so inspiring is that when you when you read about or learn about leadership stuff, you realize that these people are all doing the same thing that you're doing, yeah. right? Right. And so I find that very, especially when you, especially when you, I, I don't know how far down deep the rabbit hole you want to go. No, no. Well, but, you know, um, all when, the way. When you, <laughs> yeah, right. well, when you, I find it incredibly inspiring when you read about these experiences from not only different industries, but different periods in, in history. When you go yeah. back 50 years, when you go back 100 years, when you go back 1,000 years, when you go to different countries, when you go to different continents, there's people in these situations and they're doing the same thing. They're talking about the same situations. And do you know why? Because they're dealing with human beings. And yeah, human nature it, yeah. is inherently the same. General Grant in the Civil War was dealing with similar challenges that Jocko Willink was probably dealing with with his SEAL team. Or, you know... Generals uh, in, in, in during World War II in Russia, or whatever, they're, they're, you're trying to bring a team together to accomplish an objective, right? Right. So you have to build trust. You have to build relationships. It's really all comes together to be the same stuff. Right. One of the he, reoccurring themes that we keep talking about is, and we keep talk, we keep talking about this generational gap, right? And we're trying to really like isolate it so we can like solve solve this problem, right? And so, and you talk about education and building an education and really getting like a good academic yeah. uh, background to this. Coming from the business world before I got in the fire service and, you know, I, I, I took some classes in college. I didn't finish college, but what I came out and what I see now and what you see with all these competitive industries is that you get these people coming out of school and you talk about the human aspect and uh, the human human nature right we're almost turning out robots in this education system where it's mm. like you go in you crunch these numbers and you solve the 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 ultimate solution to the problem is making more money for some you know for, for some of these businesses it's like yeah. where can i go in and cut this and cut that and make myself look good in this leadership position or this management position and, and things like that and so i think part of this generational gap that we've gotten into is is the fact that we have turned out some some robots in a sense where we don't have people with this real world life experience that you know we're we're, we're we're a right. bunch of people we're a bunch of humans and we have to be treated as such and treat as such right yeah to get over these obstacles and these hurdles well look so that's interesting right but i reject wholeheartedly the whole generational gap thing Okay. If you're elite, no, well, I mean, no, I'm, I'm not rejecting what you're saying. No, no, I know you're not. But, but a I, lot of people, I, I think, talk about this millennial thing, right, or this Generation Z thing, right? Well, well, well. Guess what? If you're failing to connect with these people, you're failing as a leader. You know, when you say a generational gap, a millennial thing, or you're you're blaming, right? People are. I feel like that's blaming them. You know, look, they're not like us. Right. They don't know how to work equipment like we did. Mm -hmm. Right. All right, we'll teach them. Right. Yeah, 100%. Bring them in, build some trust. Right. Make an effort to get to know them and show them. Take these people. I mean, look at look what this generation has, ha has done in, in the military, in, in Iraq and Afghanistan. You know, they've, they went out and they've been getting after it, and I respect them for it. They, they're capable. 
They just right. need leaders to bring them together and show them the way. Right. And that's our responsibility. Like right. We need to do that. If there's a guy on the rig that doesn't know how to start a saw because he's never been shown, well, where are you? Teach him. Right. I'm saying you collectively, not like you no, specifically. I, but I, no, I think you, know. you John. You're yeah. honestly. Yeah, seriously. You know, yeah. I mean, show him Judging how to drive a truck. Piece seen, of crap. I've seen guys come on the job. They, they've never really driven a, a large vehicle before. Right. All right. Well, got it. Get in the seat. Get in the seat. Let's yeah. go. Let's right. let's let's train yeah. you up. Yeah. You know, we had a, a couple things. One is people forget like the millennial generation is the generation that fought the war in Iraq and Afghanistan. That's the age. 100%, that's the age. Group. Yes. Um, yes. Two, the going what you said like managers versus leaders. I know we've had that conversation. There's a yeah. very big difference oh, in someone who is a manager and someone who is a leader. And um. One of the things, like when you say about getting into the truck, like drive the truck, uh, Barry and I both worked for a lieutenant. And one of the things he did that I thought was great was as we were approaching our mark where we were able to take the radio, which I don't know, different departments call it different things. So being an acting officer, being an acting lieutenant on the truck, he actually had us ride. He rode in the back and had, you know, like one day I was driving and Barry was acting as a lieutenant. Another day Barry was driving, I was acting as a lieutenant and he sat in the back and guided but let us actually like get that experience and like put yeah. that experience on us. And we, I mean, the day I did it, we actually had a pretty eventful, eventful yeah. day. Yeah. You know, yeah, would, but that's a guy being a good leader right there. Exactly, he's trying to prepare you for what you're, what's coming your way. And I think a lot of people that could be leaders or are in positions to be leaders don't bring up the people behind them because they yeah. are afraid of becoming irrelevant or being right. passed over in promotions yeah. and instead um you know hold not necessarily hold people back but don't prepare people so those people that you find that actually will bring you up with them or even ahead of them or whatever the case is those are special people that's that's an imperative for us to train our people to take the next step up the chain if they need to who knows who's gonna be absent who knows gonna be who's gonna be out or injured or down right the next guy in line needs to be able to step up and take charge at any moment Right. At any moment. And that's that's the the key of like leadership development is your role as an effective leader is to build capable leaders that are capable to replace you. But so we have a video here of a a somewhat notable leader. um, Never heard of him. That has offered a lot of leadership lessons. So this is Jim Mattis, um, former secretary of defense uh, and also four star general from the Marine Corps uh, that kind of came up in his leadership realm during the uh Iraq and Afghanistan campaign yep. um, where he really rose to notoriety for some of his leadership philosophies. So yep. I'll play a uh, video here that we'll discuss. True name, Mad Dog. What is the one leadership lesson you learned as a general grade officer that you would wish you have known your whole career? You know, you learn all the way through, uh, Jonathan, at each rank, you're learning more and if there was one lesson that came more and more into focus over the years, it was one I learned by watching similar sided units. Like for example, I watched dozens of platoons go through certain ranges, or I saw companies, dozens of companies in fights. I always wondered what made one unit better than another. They were all well-trained. They all came through the boot camp, all of them, all of them had been recruited from America and they were quality young men. So what made them different? It was the junior leadership, the junior NCOs, the junior officers whose coaching, whose animating spirits brought out the best in their troops, 
who had admired leadership. We all know that earning the trust and respect of your subordinates is critical. You, you simply have to earn that trust. You have to earn that respect. You have to earn that every day because when it's all over and done with, you're not gonna win any fights as a leader. Your troops are gonna win those fights. But there was another word I learned to prioritize as I evaluated units, and that word was affection. It's not popularity with all the favoritism that comes with trying to be a popular person as a leader. That's a, a road to failure. But affection that you create in a unit, an affection so strong that the troops will stick by one another, they'll carry out the mission even in peril. And I bring this one up because I believe that that kind of affection brings out self-discipline where people don't want to let down the unit. And I think that if there is one lesson I learned along the way, that the more you can build that kind of affection in a unit, when the going gets tough, when people are getting shot down around you, it'll pull together, it'll pull through. And it'll be a lot smoother organization, it'll move more rapidly against the enemy, more fluidly against the enemy, and it will, generally speaking, have fewer disciplinary problems in garrison, whether it be DUIs, sexual harassment, or all that, that stuff that you see some jerks do. And on the other hand, when you're in combat, you'll find that they really play hell with the enemy. All right, so that's that's the gist of it. Um, and I really, the, the point that I, I really wanted to bring up was empowering junior leaders and how do we build... Uh, how do we build a culture in the fire service that really empowers those junior leaders? Uh, and we do that through leadership development, which is, I, I know, something that's all near and dear to our heart. So I'm going to catch up here. So I'll read this brief uh, brief quote, and I think that kind of opens up the conversation. So um, it says, When one thinks of the qualities of an effective leader, oftentimes visible character traits such as boldness, confidence, and a sense of calm in the face of adversity are referenced. And while these leadership traits are valued and oftentimes necessary in today's competitive industries, it's necessary to develop a deeper understanding of the fundamentals of effective leadership. The what I what I have grown to call the intangibles of effective or the intangibles of leadership. At its core, leadership is a privilege afforded to those who have demonstrated they are trustworthy enough to carry the responsibility for the safety, development, and success of their peers and subordinates. It's a privilege and a responsibility that must be continuously nurtured and invested in in order for the team to succeed, regardless of the mission. The intangibles of leadership are not born of the visible qualities, but of the contrary. They are born of failure and willingness to try again, to humble oneself and leverage the capabilities of the team to maximize performance and the realization that the hallmark of a truly effective leader is the ability to inspire and to develop those in your charge into leaders themselves. Um, some guy named Barry. Was, that, wasn't but. enough that we gave you a shout out <laughs> yeah. a few episodes ago and now you have to quote yourself. Yeah. But so I wrote, I wrote that for school, but the, the thing that I have found, um, mo my leadership experience is very much formed from my time in the army being a leader uh, in the army. But I think is building, like you have to have the capacity to inspire and the capacity to develop young leaders. So when you leave the organization, the biggest um, hallmark and the biggest, uh, I guess, legacy you can leave is building capable and confident leaders to take your place. And I think that's the biggest thing that will speak of you when you're gone. 
Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, when you you know, it's one thing to express good leadership, right? We 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 want to do that, but great leaders create other leaders. You know, because yep. like you said, it it, it perpetuates uh, the leadership cycle. It becomes a force multiplier. <coughs> you know, and that that matters. I mean, there's there's a lot to unpack there. You know, you showed a video and read that whole thing there. There's, there's a, a lot. lot to unpack there. And and the one thing that I'm my takeaway is is trust. You know, leadership. If it comes down to one thing, it's trust. Yep. Trust is the coin of the realm. A hundred percent. So if leaders can remember one thing, it's when you come in every day into the firehouse every day, just keep in mind your job is to build trust. You know, because a lot of, I think I think a lot of people, um, you know, they might read and learn and listen to leadership stuff and it it might sound like a lot. Just come in. Do whatever it takes to build trust. You know what those things are. Every action you take, everything that you say, is this thing that I'm doing right now building trust. You know, is 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 talking about the guy in the other shift that I don't like building trust. It's not. You know, don't do that. You only dishonor yourself when you do stuff like that. You know, and, and who's not gotten caught up in gossip? Like I've gotten caught up in, in gossip myself. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not perfect. I don't profess to be the perfect leader. I don't profess to be an expert, but what I am is a guy that has recognized the importance of leadership. And so I do the best that I can to learn about it. I do the best that I can to express it. I've had successes and failures, you know, cause I'm, I'm certainly not perfect here, but I do recognize it as important. And that's why I want to talk about it so much and try to encourage others to learn about it. Like I'm trying to learn about it because it's benefited me and I've seen it benefit other people. And I've seen other people fail because I think I think because they didn't know. You know, I don't think anybody has mentored maybe some folks lacked mentorship or lacked guidance or lacked development. And they were making I've seen people make real leadership failures and they just didn't know. So so I, a question I guess I have for you with that is uh, number one is I um I appreciate the humility. I think for me I've mentioned humility on multiple episodes when we talk about culture stuff, because I think for me, it's like one of the core backgrounds of a good yeah, person, yeah. good leader, good, whatever. Yeah. Um, but do you think like with that statement that leadership is something innate or something created? Well, that's a, well, that's a great question. Thank you for that. That's a spectrum. Some people are born with more innate traits some people are born with less innate leadership traits, but leaders are inherently developed, okay? You're not just, you know, however you're made or born, that's not it. It's do you choose to commit yourself and to develop? And nobody has to develop into a Jim Mattis. I think, I think we just want to be the best versions of ourselves that we can and, and, and take it or leave it. You know, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to be the best version of myself. And, you know, am I ever going to get to Jim Mattis level? Probably not. But but I'm going to try to do the best that I can. And I think that if everybody can, like, adopt that, like, hey, I'm just going to do the best that I can. But I would also encourage people to not underestimate yourselves. You're probably capable of way more than you think you are. So push yourself further. I think you just have to build people who care. And, yep. and, and I think... Um, I, I read the uh, I read the kind of interview that you did with Barry, and I, I'm pretty sure it was in that that you said like the audio. 
Yeah. Yeah, that you have to um, genuinely care about everybody. Absolutely. That's under your command or in your shift or even if you're a lower enlisted, you have to generally care about all the people above you as well to be effective in that leadership. So, so yes, and that's that's sometimes not easy. Leadership has to be authentic. If it's not authentic, people can smell it. If yeah. you're faking it, people can sense that. People are not stupid. Even right. our youngest firefighters, they're not stupid. Don't try and hoodwink them. You know, have you ever had have you ever had a person in a leadership position ask you about something about you that felt <coughs> inauthentic? I remember a, a, a person in a position of leadership would often ask, hey, how are the kids? How are the kids doing? But it, it did not feel yeah. authentic at yeah. all. I'm like, this guy doesn't even know how many kids I have. He doesn't know their it's names. It's just an obligatory it, thing. Right. Yeah. It's just an obligatory right. thing to look nice. And I actually, I, in a way, I appreciated it because I, I didn't think he was a bad guy. I just felt like maybe it wasn't as authentic as it, it as it could be. And and it that's why it's important to when you're connecting with people and you're building those relationships and you're building trust that it's authentic. And guess what? Guess what? There's gonna be people that you have bad chemistry with. Okay. Now I changed my phraseology there. I don't say there's people I don't like. I don't like right. to do that because that's like a negative thing. Right. But I think it's it's real, right? There's people that you don't like and there's people that don't like you. And that's a natural thing. So I accept that in the world. But I prefer to say there's people that I have bad chemistry with. Because when I say I don't like somebody, this is too negative. Feels right? like a choice. Yeah, it feels like a choice. That's right. Exactly. It feels like a choice. So there's people that you have bad chemistry with. But guess what? If they're on your team, you still have a responsibility. You have to find a way to connect. To lead yeah. them. And, and I failed at that a couple of times, right? And, and so... If my leadership has to be authentic, that I authentically want to lead these people, whether I have good or bad chemistry with them, so it's my responsibility to find a way to connect with them. It's my responsibility. I can't say, you know, Joe Blow over there really stinks. Well, not doing it. Unless it's well. Well, I'm not, you know. <laughs> so um, honesty is also a good policy. Yeah, honesty is a good <laughs> some, policy. Some people you just can't develop. You got to be careful with some, that too. That can yeah. burn you. That is that you, is true. You have to use judgment. Uh, you know, that, that got me pretty good a couple of times. You know, yeah. I thought speaking truth to power would be respected and it, it burned me pretty good in the past, you know. Typically but, among good leaders, it's respected. Right. Re uh, yeah, yeah, that's fair. I, I think if, if you're... This is my personal opinion. If you're uh, if you're a good leader and you really do care, yeah, and somebody is honest with you about something that maybe isn't something you're doing well or right or whatever the case is, and yeah. you actually care, you don't have to have the same opinion. Right. You might say, yeah. "Well, my my view of this in this position is different, but I can still respect that you care enough to like yeah. come to me and talk yeah. to me about it." You have to frame it in a way that like values it. Like I appreciate your feedback. I'll take that into consideration yeah. instead of immediately shutting someone off. Right. I, 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 yes. I mean, I definitely agree with you, but you know, in, in adopting ownership of myself and my actions, you know, like I had an experience in the air national guard where, um, I think I expected it to be a little more similar to my active duty experience. And it wasn't, so I think I had a hard time adapting and I copped a negative attitude. That's my failure. You know, yeah. for a lot of, for a while, I like blamed them for not being like my active duty unit. Well, that was stupid. Like why, you know, and then that's where I spoke truth to power and I complained and I said, they're going to respect that I'm telling them 
how I feel in an honest way, but I didn't do it the right way. Tact so, is so tact. Tact yeah. is definitely important if yeah. you're going to be. Tact is important. And so that was my failure. So I own my failure. What could I have done in that situation? I can't control the situation. That's out of my control. Maybe this unit had a different culture than my last unit. Okay, well, tough. Deal with it. What can I do here? How can I help? How can I be a good team member? Maybe I should have went to my leaders in that organization and said, hey, how can I be a good team member here? How can I contribute? What do you need from me? I didn't do that. Right. I just copped a negative attitude because it wasn't what I wanted. So that was my failure all day long. And that's the difference between like complaining and bringing a complaint with a potential solution as well. Because it, clo- yeah. it closes the door to any real dialogue. Yeah. Correct. Correct. We have, pl- we have so many problem finders. We need problem solvers. Yeah. yeah. Right? I mean, you hear people all the time talk about this problem, that problem, the other problem. And it's like, cool. Solve it. Yeah, what's Solve it. Right. What what are you going to do to fix that? Right. What, you know, and and that that sometimes can make people think a little bit. Yeah. You know, I like uh, Barry describes his current job in the army, and I I like the description for leadership as well, and it's navigating the human terrain. Yeah, that's the biggest part. So I was I was going to bring that. Up. That's what to like to me being an effective leader. There's so many different personality styles. Uh, people respond differently in different ways to different things. Even within the army, which is generally like considered like a rigid organization. To where, like, I'm understanding now, like, there's even uh, a shift in the way that people respond to feedback and respond to development. Where, like, I personally respond really well to, like, if we were on the fire ground and you're like, this is fucked up, you better unfuck yourself right now. Yep. And I'd be like, okay, got it, tracking, understood. But yeah. some people don't respond well to that. Correct. So I think that one of the biggest things with leadership is, like, understanding that you need to take a different leadership approach with the individuals that are in front of you, taking the time to get to know that individual and how they can, you know, what is the best way to approach them and to, to navigate that human terrain. Yeah, absolutely. See, that's the thing is building trust and building relationships is about getting to know people, right? And that's where the authentic part comes in. What makes them tick? You have to find out. Everybody's a little different. You have to find out what makes them tick. Why is this guy here? Why did this guy join this unit or this department or this profession? You know, did he, is it because he wants to be the best? Or is it because, hey, he just needed a job or somewhere in between? And if you can find that out, you'll understand when they do things and when they take actions, you'll understand it and it won't confuse you. And you'll know how to interact with them more effectively. You know, I had a like one of the guys that I didn't have great chemistry with in the past. And I, you know, probably didn't lead him as well as I should have. Another leader in the organization ended up getting this person and, uh, and, and then mentioned, hey, this this guy is not what you think. He's just not interested. He's interested in X and Y. And I think it was sports or something. I, f- I forget what which sport specifically. But you talk to him about that, and he starts opening up, and he knows all this stuff, and he's all interested. Right. Okay, well, you can use that to build a relationship with him and then maybe get the best out of him. You can't make everybody into... The, the, the highest performer you've ever, ever seen. Your responsibility as a leader is to get the most out of them that you can. It's to take the team that you have and to get the most out of them that you can. And you're going to get a lot more out of some people than others. Okay, well, right. you know, we're not magicians here. We're just trying to get the best out of them. Right. That's why I think leadership teams are important. Because, like you said, <clears throat> people might not respond well 
to your style of leadership, they might respond well to another person's style of leadership. Yeah. So w- when I think when I think of that, you know, I I can think of like a a company commander and a first sergeant in the army, yep. but I also can think of like when a a division chief selects his aide. Yep. Right. So you and Tommy, for example, balance each other out. You have different leadership styles, but together yep. you create a very effective team. Yep. And people might respond well to one or the other. So that's what I think. Something like that. That's, a, that's a really good. That's yeah. a really good. You have, to, you have to. You have to pick people on your team that aren't always. Um. That that. Obviously. How do I want to say that? You want to pick people on your team that aren't afraid to challenge you. You want people on your team that are going to be truthful with you. You want people on your team. You want a diverse team. You want people that are going to look at things differently because maybe I'm looking at it from this angle, but this guy over here is looking at it from a different angle. Right. I'm going to find more solutions and have more options available to me if I can look this look at this thing from multiple angles. Right. So that's good. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So but you have to have the same goal and mission. So your so your views on things might be differently, but you have to have the same goal and mission, which is to yes. be either a good leader or I also like that you said that you have to be, not have to, but you might be a different leader in the firehouse versus the fire ground. Yes. Like that's a that's a big a big difference culture, and that's kind of the you know podcast culture versus tactics. And like yes. on the fire ground, your leadership style might be different, right? And you might have people on your team that vary in your views, but the ultimate goal, you know, there is to rescue or put the fire out or whatever the case may be. So yeah, having the different personalities and stuff with the same goal, I think, makes a really good. Right, leadership team. You know, as long as your goal is for good, I guess. Yeah, we all must be unified by the mission, right? And that has to be clear. There can be no confusion about our organizational mission. Yeah, no zero. Yeah. So when we talk about, you know, I've asked you in the past, like, oh, what are the traits of an effective leader? Like, you know, people like want the definition. What is the traits of an effective leader? So I'll pull this up during the episode, but this wheel right here is actually from the Army Leadership Manual. Yeah, uh, and we talk about even like going back to Simon Sinek, where he's like competency versus trust. Yep. yep. So this is the actual rating scheme for how leaders in the army are rated. Yep. And it's separated into two very distinct categories: mm-hmm. competency as a leader and your attributes as a leader. So you these are literally on your non-commissioned officer evaluation report. This is yep. what you're evaluated on. Yeah. So your character, right? Your army values. You know, Spec- well, yeah. mafia for yeah. life, baby. Yeah. Well, yeah. we also need specialists, but. Your presence, right? Do you have military bearing? Are you confident? Do you demonstrate resiliency? But also things we talk about, like your intellect, right? Are you, you, do you demonstrate mental agility? Do you have good judgment, innovation? One of the most important things, do you have good interpersonal tact? Right. And that goes up and down the train, right? So those are your attributes as a leader. And then are you demonstrating not only the attributes reflective of a leader, are you a competent one, right? Do you, and the biggest things on, under leads, right? Develops others. Builds trust, right? Leads by example and communicates, develops, right? Creates a positive working environment. Prepares yep. self and develops others. Yep. And leads and develops are the two biggest blocks that you're rated on in the army, right? Yep. Do you demonstrate the competency and ability to lead, but can you also develop others to do the same? The, the best part of that wheel is that not really one thing on there is actually the job, like not a single thing on there is. Can you build a bridge or can you do this? It's can you lead? Do you have the attributes to lead and the competencies to lead? Because we can teach the skills. That's right. Leadership is the most important thing. Okay. It's the most important thing. So if you get the leadership right, you're going to land on your feet because a leader knows he also has to be a good manager. A leader knows he has to be proficient in his tactics and the operational level. 
You know, the leader knows these things, right? You can you can be good at tactics, but not good at leadership. But if you're good at leadership, you're going to know that you're responsible for knowing this other stuff too. Right. You know, that matters. And, and what I like there and what we can learn from that is that this stuff is in writing for the Army, okay? You know, how do we expect to get good leadership out of our company officers in the fire service if we're not putting these things in writing for our people? You know, that, right. that matters. You know, what... You know, when an officer gets promoted and he gets put into a position of leadership at wherever he is, and it's not just at the company level, you can be in a position of leadership in an office setting or something like that. Where, where are we putting this as a guide so they know what the expectation is and what we want from them? The Army is laying that out, you know, and I think that the fire service should do a better job um, doing that for, for our people and our officers as well. And you've done, you, sorry. Uh, I, I was going to say, I, I think so too, and I think, one of the things that we battle in the fire service for doing stuff like that is that, um, uh, Matt has said it is you've battled the, like, uh, the, the popularity yep. versus the affection. And so what we battle a lot in the fire service that I, I think, and I see is we battle that too cool for school attitude. We battle yep. that like attitude that people are embarrassed to like be into the job or, you know, think that because, you know, they've done it a hundred years this way that we don't need to do this stuff. And, you know, how do people get along, you know, without this stuff beforehand? And it's not that we didn't, it's just that there might be, we might be able to improve and that's. Well, I mean, so you you have a good point there, but I think that comes from culture, right? right? Culture is everything. And, you know, we, we need to create the culture we want to give us the product that we want. So, and, and that's a, that's a huge thing to try and change. Culture change is right. enormous. That's it's driven by leadership. Yeah, it, it is. is. It's driven by leadership. And I feel like sometimes when you talk about this stuff, like like understanding people's personalities, what makes them tick, like changing the culture to 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 drive us in a certain direction, yeah. sometimes sounds like, you know, people are like, well, that sounds like you're manipulating people. And it's not manipulation. It's just actually understanding somebody and caring and having that like ultimate goal of bringing people to, to it's do influencing. It. influence. It is a little bit of manipulation, but to positive ends. Right. Right. Cause you can manipulate people to negative ends. That's still leadership. There's this bad leadership, you know, yeah. uh, street gangs have leadership. Yeah. Very, bike, very strong leadership. Strong fact. leadership. Yeah. yeah. Like you know, point. and you know, uh, biker gangs right. or what have you have leadership. You know, there's all kinds of places that have leadership to maybe negative ends. I'm right. just so, thinking of the do- like the dark version of Fred Eichel's. <laughs> this is like the Zaro bu- Fred Eichel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, not, like, I'm not going to mention. I'm not going to mention the uh, former guy's name, but the guy who's slipping cuffs with uh, butts in his mouth in <laughs> yeah. the back of yeah. uh, police yeah. cars in his younger days. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna be a, a positive <laughs> leader, you need to know the negative side of leadership as well. Yeah. You know, that's important and that matters. I know? think you also, I think you also have to be, as an effective leader, you have to be like an honest and decent human because if you learn leadership and you learn how to, I don't like using the word manipulate because I feel like it has a negative yeah, context, I, yeah, but if yeah. you learn how to influence people based on like what makes them tick and what they care about and you're not an honest and good person, you can do bad things with that. You and, can. and so I think... I think in, and I, I also think that that's where you start, it becomes very obvious when somebody's authentic and yes, not authentic. Yes. And I think 
one of the other things that I wanted to bring up that I think is important that you and I have talked about at length and you and I, I think all of us have talked I about I actually don't talk to Barry outside of here. Yeah. At work, I believe it was at work, <laughs> but I think in order to be a good leader, you need perspective outside your own organization. Yeah. God, so yeah. so you talked about, you know, going to Norwich, right. To kind yep. of broaden your horizons. But yep. I think yep. some of the most capable leaders, you know, like I said, my leadership experience is, is, is limited to limited and informed by my view in the army. But I think, being in the army and traveling around the world and experiencing different leadership styles, both civilian and military, and now yep. being in a fire service organization, I think it's really important because if your leadership philosophy uh, and perspective is isolated to one organization, I don't think that it helps inform your your future leadership development style very well. Yeah. And that's yeah. something that Mattis talks about. Yeah. He says, if you haven't read, I think it was thousands of books. 3,000. 3,000. Oh, I'm... Yeah, I'm not. Functionally yeah, I'm a little illiterate. You haven't read three thousand books oh. per General Mattis. Well, yeah. So I am functionally I, illiterate. I resemble that remark. Absolutely, I think yeah. we all are. But he uses that. You know, obviously he's he's isolated. You know, he was isolated within his experience in the Marine Corps as a general officer. Yeah. But he was using literature and historical experiences to broaden his perspective. Yes. Yes. I, I also think that within the organization, you can have different experiences. So one thing in the military is. Uh, I don't know if you guys uh, feel the same way, but almost always the best officers were former enlisted. And it was just a completely different view within the same organization that gave them a different perspective and I feel like made them uh, more effective and better leaders. Former specialists. You, uh, yeah, you might have had a different experience than I did. Oh. Uh, in the, in, well, in the Air Force, the entire fire department is enlisted. So we didn't deal with officers. That's what's interesting right. about that. Yeah. We, we, we talked, the whole yeah. rank structure absolutely blew my mind. Yeah, e, your, your chief of department is an E9. Yeah, that's... Or E8, E8 promotable to E9. So right. we, we just, you know, our officers were down at the squadron level, and we just didn't interact with, with officers very much. Yeah. And very different. You know, very di- so we for, did fine. <laughs> we yeah. did fine. So for, for, for my experience uh, being infantry, the best, or some, not always, but yeah. some of the best yeah. officers I interacted with that were able to like motivate you on the battlefield and off the battlefield, yep. and like when bodies are dropping, yep. are are people who had the experience that you had. Yeah. So yeah. the thing about the military is that being an officer, you don't really ever have the enlisted experience. Yeah. So I think that that made a big difference, and I think in any organization, I think it's like like the fire services is you kind of innately have that because you have to start as a private. You can't come yeah, in and just yeah. become a captain or a lieutenant or something like that with your education, you know? Yeah, 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 without a doubt, without a doubt. It's very interesting, that that culture, because it's polar opposite of my, I mean, my experience is also unique in that, like, I interact with, like, majors and lieutenant colonels, yeah. like, regularly. Right. Yeah. But, yeah, ours is very officer-heavy. So I don't, I don't even think, like, within the Army, there's, I can't, th- that's all enlisted-centric. I don't know. Nowhere else. I mean, yeah. you you obviously have the majority, you know, enlisted, but but we had some good NCOs. I mean, we really well, did. I mean, we were well. We were. I have to say that you know, in my experience, you know, we were pretty well led. I mean, we had some good NCOs, and you know, I was. That's you know, coming into the fire service, right? That was my only example of leadership when I came into the fire service was the NCOs that I had in the Air Force, and I have to say that what what surprised me about them as leaders was that. You know, leadership wasn't really a part of the conversation for us junior enlisted guys, you know, E2s, E3s and stuff like that. But but what those E5s did, our supervisors, were they they actually took personal interest in our development. 
You know, they actually cared. They, I actually felt like they cared because they did. You know, I had like Sergeant Wright and Sergeant Cochran. They were like first two supervisors. And my God, they would spend a lot of time with me, teaching me and mentoring me and making sure I had to get in trouble off duty. You know, they told okay. me if you are at a bar, you know, because I was stationed overseas in Germany. If you're at a bar and you're drinking and you don't think you can drive it, you can't get a ride home, call me. Yeah. I don't want you getting a DUI because the friggin' guy cared about me. Right. And I didn't have to use that, but I knew he was there if I needed. And so guess what? That builds immense amounts of trust. So guess what? When he needs me to do something in the firehouse, I'm on it. Unquestionable. Right. Because this guy cares about me. I, I now trust in him. That creates good unit cohesion. Right. And that's that authenticity. So like, John, when you say, but like your first lieutenant, that you're like, I would run through a wall for this man. Yeah. Um, from my first day in to, you know, he, he got promoted. He's working days now. But I mean... Every step along the way, he made sure he checked in to make sure I was, you know, yeah, on board, doing the right thing, you know. And then he's also just one of those guys around the firehouse that was good at bullshitting. He's probably one of the best leaders that we have. I mean, yeah. nobody has. He's one of the guys that he doesn't have a bad thing to say about anybody, and nor does anybody have a bad thing to say about him. So he's just like he's that guy who, uh, when you talk about chemistry, chief, right? It's just everybody yeah. has good chemistry with Buddy. I've right. never heard anybody say a bad thing about that's, him. That's so. that's again that's the, the matter yeah. is like uh, affection, you know, versus popularity. Like you you build an affection for these people. Yeah, yeah. Le- leaders ought not to care about being popular, right. right? You, it's it's you know you you you're not driven by that. But you know when you when you care for people, and you create actually love is a part of leadership, and that's an odd thing to say. Huh. But look into it because I knew it. when you create strong levels of, of trust <laughs> and deep levels of affection within the team, like leadership is based on these deep levels of affection. Have you ever yeah, been out agree. with with you know a group of fire guys and you'll see you know a few teams of guys that are tight, right? And they'll they'll hug each other and say, "Hey, I love you, buddy." Yeah, yeah. I've Nick. seen it. I've done it. See, Barry forces it upon me. <laughs> <And it's, laughs> I'm just a hugger, man. But but when guys feel like that yeah. about each other. They're not going to let each other down. Correct. Right. They're doing the job for the guy next to them, and that matters because right. right. when things get tough and things can get very tough in our job and things can get dark in our job, when things start to break down, teams that don't have trust, they're going to be the first to break down. But teams that have deep affection for each other are going to hold. Yeah, I agree. They're going to hold, and that and that and that's the place that we want to want to get to and some teams have it and some teams don't but again i would like to see the fire service you know do a better job industry-wide of of, of creating conditions like that let me Uh, go ahead so i was gonna i was gonna say i 100 percent agree and i also think there's something to be said for collective suffering that bonds the team together i think that that like even but not even like you know, collective suffering at the hands of bad leadership, which which I have an example of in building yep. building trust and confidence. Yep. But I think like going through like really tough times as a team is necessary to really like almost like right. almost forge like the actual yeah. the experiences bond. experiences yeah. build relationships. Right. Why am I still like you know years later? Right. I I am still friendly with guys that I was stationed with overseas in the 1990s. Why? Because I went through an experience with them. We were all far away from home. Shared experience. Yep. You know, it's a shared experience. You know, I think that's what brings, you know, and I've never been in combat, but from what I from what I understand, that's one of the things that 
makes these guys so tight is because that's an extreme experience for people. And so it creates extreme bonds. Look at the fire service. How does that translate to us? Your busiest firehouses, typically, right? Your busiest firehouses tend to have the highest level of morale because they're going through it together. They're doing 17 calls a shift together. This is about engine two. It's not, no. (laughs) No. You you know, look at uh, LA, Skid Row, the busiest firehouse in the country, hands down. And those guys are prideful. Yeah. And they love each other and they are there doing the job. Don't transfer me out of here. Yeah. You know, this is, this is, this is where I belong. This is me. Yeah. It's that shared identity. Embracing the suck. That's right. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Embrace the suck. That's that's, what's, you know, that's a good, that's a good one. What's interesting about like the, like the, the, shared experiences that build those like real big bonds like yeah. talking about combat is like yeah. you can even end up really and i will say disliking people after those experiences because they're a very certain person when you're in those experiences and they're a very different person outside of them yeah and you still will always have like an affection and love for that person like yeah. you can literally hate who they are <laughs> and then still like you're still going to defend them to the Isn't death. Isn't that a funny thing because there's some guys that I was in, in in the military with that I didn't really have great chemistry with but I still have this odd affection for them. Exactly. Uh, there's se- several yeah. several that I was I was thing. in the military with that like you ask me I'm like oh god but then if you're like yeah that guy sucks I'd be like listen <laughs> yeah, he's you know, one like, of, look, he's one he's, of us. Yeah, you so, know, so it's like it, it's like growing up. It's like your best friend's like little brother. Yeah, yeah. You slap like, him around. He's a pain, but yeah, like, right. but nobody better mess. No with one else talks shit but about if, this. But kid. if somebody else, right? right. Yeah. yeah. Hey, hey, only us. Yeah, yeah. That's, no, that's, that's exactly yeah. right. That's my punching bag. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's a thing. No. So, talking and building trust and confidence, and the perils of not building trust and confidence. Uh, I'm going to show you another short clip. Uh, it's it's a humorous clip, uh, but I think it I think it speaks well to. Um, the perils of ineffective leadership and also kind of speaks to that collective suffering. So is I'm it gonna, one of my favorite movies? It is. Uh, it is. Uh, so what's that? Step Brothers? No. I'll pull this up on YouTube. So this part will be edited out, obviously. So uh, before before we do that, I since you're pulling it up anyway, I do have a question for you, Chief. All right. Um, is this a question you want to wait for the? Uh, I think it goes to what you were just saying. Yep. Bring um, it. Bring it. So. When you talk about building that trust yep. and like doing the right thing, yep. especially when you're in a leadership position where you're not the top of the leadership chain, yep, and you have to enforce <clears throat> things or policies that maybe you don't deal with or, or that you don't agree with, um, I guess my answer is like, how do you implement like leadership and 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 help enforce things that you might not actually even agree with yourself because it's good for the collective or because yeah. it's th- yeah. the job requires it. Well, that's a great question. And, and that's a great question because I think everybody at some point is going to experience that, right? So how do you, how do you balance that dichotomy, right. right? How do you balance your loyalty to the chain of command versus the loyalty to your troops? And I'm not fully on board with this thing but I'm supposed to implement it. What am I going to do? Right. Um, that's an opportunity. Okay. That's an opportunity. Y- you have to, re- you have to remember that your, your, your troops are watching you all the time and your, your leaders, the people above you are watching you all the time. They're watching how you interact with each scenario. Okay. And, and that can put a lot of pressure on, on, on people. Yeah. Um, anyway, so how are you going to handle that? I think the first thing you need to do is find out why, right? 
let me find out why. Why why is this happening? And of course, on the fire ground, they might might, might be might not have time for that. Right. Okay. But in general, if you're in the firehouse or something, hey, this this thing came down. Let me let me call up to the boss. Let me see. Let me see what the reasons are for this. And then you can even suggest a different path to the boss. Like, hey, I, I hear what you're saying. What about this thing over here? This might this might work better for us. Is this a possibility? Right. right. Advocate for your people. Advocate for yourself. Maybe the boss never thought of it. Right. And maybe and maybe you have a chance to influence the operation there. Okay. Uh, but let's assume the boss says, nope, I want you to stay the course. I want you to do this thing. All right. Now this is an opportunity to display discipline. Okay. Now you pivot to your guys. You go, look, guys, um, look, the boss is made, uh, making this call. They want us to carry out this task. So we're going to do it. And, uh, you know, I, I found out why. This is the reason that we're doing it for X, Y, and Z. This is what he wanted. I, um, I went with him for an alternative. But he's just choosing to not go with the alternative. So this is what we got to do. So let's just get on board and get this done. You know, pull your people together. They know you advocated for them. They know that they know that you're not fully on board with it. But they also know that you're not. Because how's it going to look if you start? Yeah, you can't badmouth. You can't badmouth the boss. You can't undercut the boss because that's not good leadership. And to be a good leader, you have to be a good follower. Right. And what do you want people to do when you issue an order? You want them to follow it, right? However, if you're humble, you also welcome feedback. So what I want when I issue something out, if somebody has a question, I want them to ask. And I've also said to people, hey, look, I have a responsibility to make a decision, okay? Your leaders at every level, our leaders in every fire department have a responsibility to make decisions and issue orders. They have that responsibility. We have to carry them out. So, you know... I think that people understand they're not going to agree with everything, but if you can get people on board, explain the why, and just say, "Look, this is what they want. This is what we're going to do." I think they'll they'll be okay with that, yeah. more or less. I think making unpopular decisions is is easier when it's your decision. Like, uh, so on the fire ground, when you're yep. like, "Hey, listen, you got to be writ. You know that yep. sucks, and you know that people don't like that, but that is what it is." Or like you know we have too many guys inside just wait a minute or something but in the in the firehouse when it's not your decision but you have to enforce that unpopular decision i feel like that's a very a tough position for any leader so i was just curious kind of your thoughts on that but i like yeah I, like that. I mean it's you know writ is important writ matters right you might not think it's fun but we need it and and it's not about you and it's not about me it's about the mission it's about right what we're trying to accomplish and how we'd be letting our teammates down if we didn't have a writ team ready to go out right. front. Like you, you have your brother and sister firefighters back. If you, you're complaining about being writ, how about, how about you show the innocent commander how motivated you are and how trustworthy you are. And when he assigns you writ, you turn to you guys, Hey guys, we got the writ assignment. You know, let's, let's get it done and get your equipment out there and get it staged and get ready to go and be the best writ team that you could possibly be. Yeah. Whatever you're doing, be the yeah. best at it. Yeah. 